The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that has pretty much no idea what it's like to be a free agent. Jordan hasn't been single since September of 2012. I'm Jake Mintz, and that's Jordan Schusterman. What's up, my dude? Uh, I think you mean 2013, but I appreciate that. Uh, Mm. I do know Mm -hmm. uh, the point you're trying to make is that we have no idea what free agency is like, and yet we're going to come on here and act like we do. This is the first of our off-season preview extravaganzas, and we're not just going to talk about free agency here. I think we're going to do a little bit more of a player-specific free agency deep dive later this week. But on this episode of Baseball Barbacast, we are going to zoom out on this Zoom and kind of look at all 30 teams and what, what what's the plan here? What are we expecting to see during this offseason? We have tiered the teams into uh, generally levels of relevance and how much we expect to be talking about them. But we will be addressing all 30. And uh, we got a couple special guests coming on later as well, which you'll hear from to give us a little bit more expertise than we can offer. But I'm very excited about this. I, I, I like, you know, I like doing some, some comprehensive stuff where we try to pack way too much into one podcast. So we, we probably should get started. Now, we are going to talk about all 30 teams, but we're not going to talk about all 30 teams the same amount. And that brings us to the bottom of the barrel, our first category, which we have called Tank Town. Or if you spend more than $30 million this offseason, well, I'll eat my hat, (laughs) which is an amazing thing that people used to say. And we are talking about the Oakland A's. The Washington Nationals, the Pittsburgh Pirates, and the Cincinnati Reds. So let's get right into the A's. Jordan, what are their needs, and what is the biggest storyline of their offseason? Uh, they need a stadium. They need an owner who's willing to spend on a stadium and spend on baseball players. Um, but transactionally, the one thing we're focusing on is will they trade Sean Murphy? They shipped out all their other stars last year, assuming that Murphy would get dealt eventually. Will it happen this winter? Will it happen next trade deadline? It will happen. We just don't know when. He's one of the best catchers in baseball, so that is a very important player to watch this winter. This team is not very good, and we don't ever expect them to spend this winter will be no different. Next, the Washington Nationals. Their need. They also need an owner. <laughs> That team is currently on the market to be sold, and I can't imagine them spending money in free agency until there is a new owner, so hopefully that situation gets resolved this offseason. What is the storyline this winter for them? 
Well, we thought it was going to, I personally thought it was going to be Juan Soto this winter, uh, but instead they decided to get out ahead of that and make sure that their offseason was way less interesting. What? Oh yeah. Yeah. They traded Juan Soto. Yeah. I don't know if you, you heard about that. So they don't really have that many other pieces to move in terms of veterans. So this could be, it's not like when they have this one big chip like Sean Murphy, I look, they'll probably sign a bunch of veterans to one year deals and, and hope that that kind of fills it literally fills in the roster but i'm I'm not expecting much action uh on on the uh free agent uh, market for for the washington nationals the pittsburgh pirates already made the biggest move of the offseason so far trading for g-man Choi, the beloved yes. korean first baseman this team like the others really could use a new owner uh mm-hmm. who spends some money bob nutting mm-hmm. has no interest in selling the team despite how much the city of Pittsburgh would like him to. Now, this team is slightly different than the A's and the Nats. I think there have been some signs of progress. The arrow is green and pointing up, at least in theory. And the biggest storyline with this team, as it has been for the last couple of years, is do they trade center fielder Brian Reynolds? Yes, that's the big one. Now, they've they've been steadfast. At this point, I kind of doubt it um, because they seem maybe close enough to something. The point is, this is, they do have one of the best farm systems in baseball, and that is not what Oakland or the Nats, even after the Juan Soto trade, or the Reds, who we're about to talk about, can say. And so they have that, and so maybe there is a 5% chance that they have an Orioles-type 2023 where it's like, oh, wow, all the young guys are actually ready and good at Major League Baseball way sooner than we thought. That said, there's still so many holes on this roster. There, There is some star potential on this roster right now and close, which is exciting. But again, with this ownership and with their free agent spending, I'm not expecting much. However, I I do like the G-Man Choi trade because I, I think he's good. I think he will help them win Major League Baseball games in 2023. Is it going to make them a contender? No, of course not. So that's why they're still in Tanktown. Cincinnati Reds, this will be the final year. Oh my God, I feel old. Of the Joe Ivado mega deal. There is a team Probably. option. There is a team option. If he comes back strong, uh, he maybe they pick up the the twenty million dollar or t- twenty million dollar team option for twenty twenty four at age forty. What do you think? I think not. Uh, <laughs> this is not really how anyone expected this to end. Certainly not how Joey Votto wanted this to end. This team is going to stink. They traded away all their good players at the previous deadline during the year. I really don't. I think they could be the most irrelevant team of the offseason. Yes. They'll sign a bunch of veterans like Tommy Pham last <laughs> year and hope that they have a good three months and then they'll trade him for someone at the deadline. But anything past that would shock me. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. Hunter Green, uh, Graham Ashcraft, who I, I do honestly sort of believe in, and Lodolo and Tyler Stevenson. That's like not a horrible start. But boy, is there so much else that they need to do. And it's not going to happen this offseason. So just... Be patient, Cincinnati. All right, let's move on to our next tier. This tier is one that I am honestly very excited about, and you could argue belonged in this tier last, in the Tanktown tier last offseason. Tigers didn't think so. The Royals and the Tigers, a.k.a. the AL Central figure your shit out tier, uh, even more than the White Sox and Twins, so we'll get to later. These are two teams with new uh, front office leadership. How new is the front office leadership in Kansas City is maybe one storyline for them versus how different is the front office leadership in Detroit compared to what it was before. I'd put out a Twitter poll uh, when their GMs, uh, new GMs came in. Which of these teams is closer to winning, the Tigers or the Royals? Where do you feel uh, about, about that? Because I, I keep going back and forth. Uh, closer to winning? I think the Tigers have a higher ceiling because their ownership group is more willing to spend money. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think the Royals have a much higher floor because mm-hmm. they have a much more talented group of young players. I think mm-hmm. we should start with them. 
had a lot of bright spots for the Royals this year, even though their record was pretty terrible. Most notably, the man, the myth, the Italian breakfast, Vinny Pasquantino, friend of the show. But what didn't go right for the Royals and what was honestly a cornerstone of their rebuild was the young pitching. They have all these young arms, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, Jackson Coar, who they expected to be members of this rotation for the next half decade. And they were all pretty terrible. And the only one who was pretty decent was Brady Singer. And that's a good thing moving forward. He solidified himself. But the Royals need reliable arms. And I think they might sign one or two veteran type arms on the free agent market and then kind of let the offense cook and mature. That's what I guess their plan would be. That said, the reason why I'm more optimistic about Kansas City is that Detroit had sort of the same issue. Oh, Mize, Manning, Scooble. Uh, Okay. <laughs> Hopefully Mize comes back healthy. Scooble had looked good early and then was injured. Manning was up and down, not great. And at least Kansas City, Bobby Witt, look, I know his defense was messy, struck out a bunch, OBP wasn't great. But the star tools were there for Bobby Witt in his rookie season. And having the seasons like Pasquantino Melendez showed flashes was way more promising than what we got from Torque. And Riley Green, who was good, not great. So I feel a little bit more optimistic about Kansas City, but it is close. And they are both still have a lot of work to do. The other thing about the Tigers is they've run payrolls up into the high 100s Yep. in a season. Last year, I think they were right around 100 because of the insane $31 million they're still play, paying to Miguel Cabrera. <laughs> yep. The Javi Baez deal, which already looks like an absolute disaster, and yeah. the Eduardo Rodriguez deal. So they'll spend, like this team will spend. That's now, true. The problem is the new GM group, led by Scott Harris, who came over from San Francisco, has to inherit these weird, bad contracts that the old group made and has to reckon with that and find a way to win in spite of that. So I honestly don't think the Tigers are going to spend at the top of the market this year because they literally hired a new GM like three months ago, right? Two months Mm -hmm. ago. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine he gets his feet under him, builds structure uh, and processes this year and then spends next offseason. Totally agree. Let's move Uh, on from (laughs) the bottom of the AL Central to the bottom of the NL West, a category that we call the Rockies, because who the hell knows what the Colorado Rockies are ever doing? Yeah, we talk about, we just mentioned, oh, new GM, new processes. Let's get some systems, some, some player development philosophies, and some progressive mantras that we can instill all throughout our coaches and our 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 you know our our trainers and our player development and all these this things. This is not that. Ex- this is the opposite. This is just just vibes, right? Not just the Rocky Mountain vibes. This is just whatever Bill Schmidt and his friends are feeling. The Montforts are feeling. So they are as unpredictable as it gets. They could do absolutely nothing. They could sign Brandon Nimmo. They could sign Justin Verlander. They could. Do, I, I have no idea what what the Rockies are going to do, and that is what makes them fascinating, puzzling, maddening, frustrating. All of those things at the same time. Uh, once again, they had another really disappointing season. They, they have some interesting players, I guess. It's just we don't know. We still don't know what the direction. And and especially with the Tigers, who were one of the last teams who seemed to be kind of lagging behind, we're really running out of other teams that we can be like. Well, you know, maybe they're down there with the Rockies in terms of kind of behind the curve. No, Colorado is by themselves at this point, and I have no idea what they're going to do. Uh, Brandon Nimmo maybe would be awesome for them. Would it make them a contender? Of course not. But 
I don't know. They're the Rockies. That's why they're in their own tier, as always. I wrote down on this list, more isolationist than USA in the 1930s. And that is how I would describe the Rockies. Let's move on to our next group. You're not thinking about them, but they could do some weird shit and start with the Rockies division mates, the Arizona Diamondbacks, who finished the 2022 season pretty well, had a plus 15 run differential in the second half. They have a super interesting group of young and talented outfielders. Mm -hmm. That being said, this bullpen was absolutely butt. Yeah, I was so impressed with how they looked in the second half, considering how boring and just hopeless the offense in particular looked in the first half. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I, I like this group. I, Varsho, one of my favorite players in baseball. And hey, Zach Gallen, right? It's not like they have no arms whatsoever. Merrill Kelly, very underrated. They could improve here and say, let's get crazy and gun for the third wild card. Look, it's going to be crazy hard to do that, especially with the Padres and Giants, not to mention the Dodgers. But there's, they, I kind of like what they're building here. They're just, they're just in such a deep hole division-wise that it's really hard to know what is the best move to get good fast. And I, I just don't know what that is. The point is they're good enough to where the ownership and the, the front office should be incentivized to try and improve this major league roster right now because they are close enough to, I think, maybe be you know in 500, maybe a few games over. Now, part of their problem is that they're spending almost a quarter of their payroll on Madison Bumgarner's <laughs> washed bum ass. Yeah. And so that will limit what they're willing to do until that comes off the books. I do think this is a sneaky, interesting landing spot for one of the top four free agents, Swanson, Correa, Bogarts, and Trey Turner. Trey Turner. Man, I'm going to keep doing that all winter long. <laughs> I think this is a sneaky landing spot for one of those guys if this team really wants to spend. <laughs> Yo, bring bring Dansby home. Bring Dansby home, dude. <laughs> the, the Braves brought Dansby home. When they traded for him after the Diamondbacks drafted him first and they won a title. Now the Diamondbacks can bring Dansby home too. This team is a 2023 dark horse if they make the right moves this offseason. Let's move on to the Tampa Bay Rays, a perpetual dark horse. I don't know if they can be a dark horse anymore. They're just... I fluctuate between being impressed and eye-rolly about the Tampa Bay Rays. And I think I'm currently in an eye-rolly phase. So far this offseason, they did not pick up the Kevin Kiermeyer $13 million option, which was expected, and traded away G-Man Choi to the Pirates. The one thing to know about this team, they are going to make a bunch of trades in the next couple days as the 40-man roster crunch approaches to clear out some roster spots mm-hmm. as they move into the winter. Obviously, they're not going to sign anyone to a lot of money. That's not what they do. They're going to trade for people you've never heard of and then win 90 games next year. Yeah. I, I To your point about fluctuating between impressed and an eye roll, like at this point, we know the Rays aren't going to be bad. Um, they, you know, five straight winning seasons, like they, they know what they're doing and whoever's on the team, I will trust will probably win 85 games or so. But the difference between 85 and 95 is a big freaking deal in the AL East. And so it's just hard to really gauge what that is going to look like. The point is, is that there will be things happening for the Rays. And maybe they make some crazy offer like they did to Freddie Freeman and someone actually takes it. I wouldn't count on that. Uh, and I don't know who that would be. Um, but I guess the most fun one there would be like DeGrom. 
<laughs> offer him uh, offer Florida man DeGrom to come pitch for like 50 million or something for one season which would be which would be fun but I listen to, in terms of the trades I wouldn't expect like I don't know why they would deal Randy Rosarena at this point I think it's more likely to deal from their huge depth of pitching and they just have so many prospects that they're going to try to cycle through so uh you know but who knows they, they could always make something something weird like this team should go get one of Toronto's catchers or Sean Murphy. This team should go try and get Brian Reynolds. They should package together all that prospect depth that they've accumulated and use it for something mm-hmm. instead of having a bunch of good players on the back of your 40-man roster. Yeah. Let's move on to the Minnesota Twins who are in an incredibly bizarre spot. I would say their biggest need is someone to stretch Byron Buxton's legs to make sure that the most talented baseball player maybe in the world doesn't keep getting injured really unfortunate to see they extended him to such a big contract last year and he's kind of their only money on the books after 2023 i believe they have max kepler on a team option and polanco's on a team option but beyond that they have some money to toss around now the big one here is carlos correa who they had for the one-year deal he came in he everyone was like wow this guy's crazy good and now he's back on the free agent market they're gonna be in the mix for him i think i think they loved having him around i think he made a lot of good impressions there in minnesota now obviously will they pay is yeah but at the same time as you said they do they should have a ton of financial flexibility and they they did get it i know it took all kinds of weird circumstances to get him there in the first place but it is kind of funny that people are just the average no one, no one is predicting him to go back, and I don't think it's the most insane thing in the world. Um, like it be just because it, you know they they could they could easily offer him ten three hundred, and it would not be that insane for what the payroll they've been they've been running. The bigger question is, okay, well they just had Correa last year, and yes, it was because of injuries, but it was a mess. Sure, they were in first place for the first few months, and let's not act like that didn't happen. But there are still a lot of other places on this roster that need improvement, and certainly on the pitching side. So. I, if they can bring back Correa, awesome. And should that be the number one priority? Probably, because having Correa is a great place to start as an organization. But it will be hard because they are presumably bidding against a much more normal free agent market this year compared to what they had last year. Uh, and so that will certainly be a challenge. But yeah, Minnesota's in a weird spot because they, they again, like I said, they were in first place for most of last season. And the collapse says something about the, you know, the roster and then the flaws. But that, you know, that's a long time to be in first place. Like, it's hard to say this is a bad team. They were so injured all year. And I think that it's tough, right? Because Buxton, when healthy, is a seven-win player. Mm -hmm. They're going to get Kenta Maeda back, who last we saw of him was bad. And he was bad in 21, but incredible in 20. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, there's... This team could win a bad division easily. The division they're in stinks. They could easily win it if they spent the money right this offseason and made some some shrewd trades. Mm -hmm. That being said, I just... mm, You're mm, skeptical. You're skeptical. mm, Go Twins. I'm I'm with you. I just... I I think that they... They also will... If they miss out on Correa, like... What was so... What what the Correa signing did show them... Because remember how how much of a mess it was in, in 21, right? Like... They they were like, no, we're not rebuilding. Everyone thought, oh, maybe they're going to rebuild. They signed Correa. So I do think that this front office, whether they can successfully do it or not, is going to try and win whether they get Correa back or not. 
we're going to talk about this as we continue over the course of this podcast and the offseason. But Jordan and I kind of see nine or 10 free agents in the top tier, right? That is the three aces, Rodon, Verlander, DeGrom. That is the four shortstops, Swanson, Correa, Turner, Bogarts. That's seven. Aaron Judge, I don't know if you've heard of him. Brandon Nimmo and Wilson Contreras is the one who's like right on the fence. Those are the 10. I would probably say nine teams end up with those 10 guys. One team probably gets two, just loosely guessing. I think the Twins get one of the 10. Mm. I think they are a team willing to spend money with room in the payroll to spend money who need dynamic top of the market players. Mm. And if it's not Correa, I think they get someone on that list this offseason. Let's move on to a team that won't, and that's the Miami Marlins. The Marlins, man, I am so... uh, This team, I I spend way too much time thinking about. I was not convinced that they were going to contend after the offseason they had last year, but I was like, okay, like these are risky signings hitter-wise. It's not like you're getting proven commodities in Solaire and Avisal Garcia and Joey Wendell and Jacob Stallings. But it went about as bad as you could possibly hope for those signings, and they deserve the blame for for you know risking it on that. At the same time, this is still a team with a wealth of pitching depth, pitching depth that 25 teams are legitimately envious of. And I think they're going to try to use that to flip it for some hitters. At the same time, I have no reason to believe that this is the organization as it stands right now that is good at either acquiring or developing uh, position player talent. I love Jazz, and I hope he's going to be an all-star for the next 15 years, and I think he could be, you know, and that could have been way worse trading Zach Allen, right? But at the same time, if you're going to trade Pablo Lopez, which it seems like they're strongly considering, you really better nail it, and it's going to take way more than just getting one more good hitter back, and if, if it doesn't seem like they're going to want to go spend in the free agent market again, considering how it went last year, so there are trades to make here, it's a uphill battle in this division it's it's just it's tough i i hope they can figure it out but i i'm i'm worried i'm very worried the thing that's frustrating about this team is that they in some ways have done the hard part like they have sandy alcantara on a borderline exploitative 11 million dollar annual value contract they have jazz pre-arb they have you know pablo lopez on five mil a year they have these guys who are ARB or pre-ARB who are like good contributors, but again, 25% of their payroll is going to Avisail Garcia and Jorge Soler. And as prognosticators, Jordan, we can bang the table and scream, spend, spend, spend. But if you spend poorly, it handcuffs you for a long period of time because what it does is it, it tells ownership like, There's no reason to spend. And if you fuck it up who you spend on, you're less likely to get money to spend on them the next time. And so for a team like the Marlins that operates in that middle ground, that's always trying to get as much money from ownership as possible. Those signings last offseason, I think, could really hamper them for the next couple of years. I do think they will trade some of that young starting pitching. But like they did when they traded Zach Allen away. They got a hit on it. Like, if you're going to give away Zach Gallon, you got to get something. And I think that trade, you can dissect it 90 different ways, but they got Jazz. Like, Jazz is a thing, right? He is something. And if you trade Pablo Lopez away, you have to get something. Let's move on to our next team, the Milwaukee Brewers, 
who experienced a change in leadership. Their general manager, David Stearns, or I guess maybe he was the president of baseball operations. Pobo. Uh, or the Pobo. <laughs> he has stepped down or moved back into like an advisory role because I think he's burnt out. And honestly, I tip my cap to that. Like, take a year. You got the you got the dough. You know, you do you. Get some right. me time, my guy. I also and- love it because... And this is not a like he's thirty seven, right? <laughs> but he became the GM when he was thirty, so it's like the the guy has been has been grinding at this this weird. Now, are they small market? Yes, but they have an owner that will randomly you know give Christian Yelich two hundred million dollars, like very weird um, kind of fluctuation in ownership. And you know we generally support Atanasio. He seems like not one of the worst owners for sure. Uh, but at the same time, let's just talk strictly baseball. They're in a weird spot. They have struggled to build a, a comprehensive, intimidating offense for several years now. And the pitching, as consistent and as good as it has been at the top, Corbin Burns is still amazing and Brandon Woodruff is still really good. But they're not just going to both post, you know, two ERAs every season. That is not a sustainable, um, uh, you know, just strategy moving forward. And so this is where you're at kind of a turning point where it's like, okay, same thing with Miami. It's like, do we maybe turn some of this pitching? Do we trade a Woodruff? Do we trade a Burns or Freddie Peralta, right? I don't think so because it's it, for them. They have more. They have. It's not like the Marlins where they have so little offense that it's like we can't win at all. You know, the, the Brewers were still in the mix for ninety five percent of the season, but they just haven't had anyone that scares you, right? We love Willie Adams. We love Rowdy Telez, and Yelich is just. I mean, how much longer are we going to keep waiting for him to come back? It's. I'm. I'm. I'm done waiting. Like he's just not the same guy anymore, and so like. They're a good team in this division where the Pirates and Reds are so far behind and the Cubs are still not a very good major league roster. Like they should still compete. But this is a they're in a tough spot. I'm really not sure what the right move for them is going to be. And I I but they're they're gonna try something because again, it's not like I don't think they're going totally backwards. Cause like like I said, they should still be in the mix to win this division. They're one of those weird teams that's in win now mode, mm-hmm. but is kind of maxed out at what ownership is willing to spend. Mm-hmm. And so those improvements are not going to come on the free agent market. Like Probably. they're already at 130 something mil. Yeah. Hundred, yeah, $130 million. Like I can't see them getting too much higher than that. I don't think ownership will do that. Yeah. All right. Speaking yeah. of teams with ownership that doesn't like to spend, <laughs> our final team in the, you're not thinking about them, but they could do some weird shit group. The Cleveland Guardians who... Uh, we're one game away from the ALCS last year, which is incredible to think about. They won the AL Central, beat the Rays in those one to zero or two to one soccer baseball games. <laughs> and now they enter this offseason with a team, a good roster and an ownership group that won't spend any money. What do they need? They need people who can hit home runs. They had almost none of them last year, and I'm not exactly sure how they're going to find that. Yeah, uh, again, now they also could presumably use this pitching depth to go acquire a real hitter, whether that is, 
someone like at the very top, whether it's a Brian Reynolds type, whether it is a catcher, you know, we'll get to the Blue Jays in a little bit. Uh, catching is something they've basically punted on catcher offense for years now. And, and it's hard to say that it hasn't worked. <laughs> so I don't know if they're suddenly going to change that. I guess you could say the same thing about Houston. But they have a lot of pitchers uh, that they can move. Certainly bullpen pieces. We've seen how valuable bullpen pieces are in trades, particularly ones with a lot of years of of control, which to me is funny because relievers are so volatile that relievers with years of control is like, okay, but they are going to suck two of those years and be like, I, you don't know. <laughs> like, why are we worried about what any reliever is going to be in 2025? Like, there's no way anyone has any idea. Um, at the same time, what the market has shown is that they, that they are worth something. So... Maybe they flip an Eli Morgan, a Sam Henches, a Nick Sandlin. Like they have a lot of guys uh, to move there, but at the same time, they just need offense so badly. And the, it's not like the prospects that are coming up are, are are boppers anyway, right? I mean, unless Nolan Jones really turns a corner, I'm just not really seeing where the where the real juice is in this lineup. At the same time, they just won the division doing this, so I it's like it's one of those things where you you want them to strive for more, but I'm not convinced that they actually will. The one guy who could be on the move here on the big league roster would be Ahmed Rosario, Mm -hmm. just considering how many middle infield prospects this team has and how much money he's making relative to a Cleveland Guardians payroll. Mm -hmm. I think he'll be around nine mil in ARB this year. Mm -hmm. So he could definitely be on the move, something to keep an eye on. Let's move on to our next category, Jordan, before we take a break. Mm -hmm. A category we're going to call non-playoff teams looking to spend some money. And we will begin... With the Chicago White Sox, they have a new manager who presumably will stay awake during baseball games, which is what you're supposed to do. Pedro Grafal is going to have like the first three months. He could do anything and people would be like, this guy's a genius. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope he enjoys that that grace period. Uh, So that's a good sign. That's already a a win this offseason. The problem is, speaking of not wanting to spend, yes, their payroll is pretty high. You know, it's around 170, 180 million. There's no reason to expect that Jerry Reinsdorf wants to even sniff the luxury tax. He doesn't even want to have it in sight. And so it is much more likely that that Rick Hahn and co are going to just kind of shuffle this roster and hope that they're healthier and hope that having a manager that's awake will get them back into postseason mode. Here's the problem. They were underwhelming and disappointing and incomplete in 2022 and did not make the playoffs when everyone expected them to. That's problem number one. Problem number two is that they're not going to increase payroll. So it's going to be difficult to add more talent that way. Problem number three is that their farm system sucks, right? So it's they can't use that to trade for talent. Mm-hmm. So that leaves them very little room to maneuver to try and improve their big league roster. The most likely scenario is that they do something like trade you know, Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets or one of these corner boppers that they have a lot of to try and get maybe some pitching depth or, you know, a little bit more up the middle town or some depth in defensive position. Now, the issue is they need these corner boppers now because Jose Abreu, who's been there since 2001 or whatever, (laughs) is a free agent. And the chances of him returning to Chicago seem lower than the last time he hit the open market. And he's been such a staple of that lineup in that order. Like, if they don't replace him, what do they what do they do? 
He was the only thing they could rely on last year. Now, Eloy was quietly awesome when he did play, but he certainly is not proven to be healthy. I mean, he he died one season, and then he also got hurt this season. So, you know, it's it's hard to, to really count on someone like that, although the talent seems to be there. But that's why it's hard to swallow, because Vaughn was pretty good. And so you that's another thing that, like, am I trusting this front office to execute a trade like that? I, I don't know. I don't know. So... Things could get weird here. Um, the pressure's on. We know they have enough good players that they are going to try to win. I just am not sure the best path forward for it. It's all about their health. Like if this team stays healthy and everyone is what they're supposed to be, they could win 90 games, mm-hmm. right? But if people get hurt, it could just be 2022 all over again. Let's stay in Chicago and move up to the north side where the Chicago Cubs had a very hopeful end to their 2022 season. They got pretty hot down the stretch. Now, they're in a weird spot. They did spend some money last offseason bringing in Seiya Suzuki from Japan on a five-year deal. And I Stroman. Believe. What do you say? And Marcus Stroman. So mm-hmm. they are spending cash for the future even when they're not good. Now, they can do that because they make a shitload of money because they're literally the Chicago Cubs. Out the door is most likely Wilson Contreras, who they extended the qualifying offer to. He said that he wants to be a Cub. I doubt the team wants to pay the money necessary to keep him around. Jordan, <laughs> here's the question about the Cubs. Is there a way for them to be competitive in 2023 in such a shitty division? And if so, does it make sense to try and be competitive in 2023? I mean, uh, this this pitching staff, and look, I know, yeah, the winning record in the second half. I just, I'm not seeing where the the effective pitching is. I think that there is a way if they just say, oh yeah, no, we're spending big time and they get one of the shortstops and, you know, Carlos Rodon or Verlander or DeGrom. Maybe now we're, we're pushing into, to, you know, 85, 86 win. Let's, let's actually challenge something here. There's a lot of holes still left on this roster. Also on offense that I, it would be, it would be a pretty big leap. At the same time, I think they could come out of this offseason feeling really good about the next few years that then, I mean, I haven't thought about free agency next year, obviously, but like they, they should be able to get back into a very relevant contender mode. But there's enough gaps on this roster still that I, I'm, I, it would be, a, it would take a lot. It would take a lot. Marcus Stroman can opt out after this season. Jason Hayward's $22 million are coming off the books after this season. So there is some room for, new, for maneuverability for a team that has shown willingness to operate at the higher ends of the payroll spectrum. Speaking of the higher ends of the payroll spectrum, let's head on down to Texas where the Texas Rangers last offseason spent half or committed half a billion dollars to Mark, uh, to Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager that bought them a third place finish in the American league West for they head into this offseason with a similar roster, similar issues. They need, holy shit, do they need pitching. Yeah. They, fourth place. They still finish behind the Angels. They, they finished behind the Angels? Yes, they did. They, now, there are parts of this team where you actually say, all right, on offense, I, listen, I thought the offense around Sammy and Seager was going to be totally desolate. I love Adolis Garcia. He is not a perfect player. He is super fun, and he is he is he is good. He's good. Nathaniel Lowe, quietly one of the best first basemen in baseball. That's a fact, right? Did he win the Silver Slugger? I think he did. He is. He, look <laughs> at his. He has no splits. I think he's better against left-handed pitching. He's legitimately awesome. Okay, so you have four excellent hitters, three excellent hitters, and one really good hitter in Adolis Garcia. Besides that, 
brutal, right? Jonah Heim, fine. But the problem is they have no arms whatsoever. And if Martin Perez isn't coming back, I'm sure they're going to try and do everything they can to bring him back. But it is just not great. At the same time, they had two relievers with ERAs under two in over 70 innings, Brock Burke and Matt Moore. That should tell you how bad everybody else was, <laughs> both starting and relieving, that they could have two, that they had 150 innings worth of under two ERA bullpen arms, and they lost over 90 games. Uh, there is so many holes. This is one of the most stars and scrubs rosters I've ever seen. Again, Angels, both of them. I mean, it's really extreme. And so the question is, we said it last year. is like, really? You're just going to spend on John Gray? You're not going to try to get something else? Well, that bit them in the ass. This year, it seems like they're going all in on pitching. And listen, man, if they land one, awesome. They Even if they get to Grom, there is still so much work to do. Uh, because it's not like you're guaranteed to get 32 starts out of DeGrom. So if you are, maybe now we're sniffing 500. Uh, I do think that they are closer to winning than I thought, but it's also not a great farm, and they need a lot of steps forward from some of the young guys. Like Josh Young better be awesome right away, I would say. I think this team is going to spend and spend big. Bing, 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 bing. I think this is another guaranteed landing spot for one of the top 10 players. Yep. Top 10 free agents. I think they have to get one of them. I think like Brandon Nimmo is a great fit mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, they don't have a center fielder. They need someone who can get on base. They need another hitter. Mm-hmm. I think he's a really good fit in Texas. Mm-hmm. I can imagine them trying to get one of those top three pitchers. Mm-hmm. If they can't, Nate Eovaldi makes a lot of sense. They mm-hmm. need a lot. That being said, they have room to spend and a willingness to spend it. Let's stay in the division to another Stars and Scrubs team and talk about the, <laughs> the Anaheim ultimate. Angels. Now. Uh, everything about the angels this offseason is seen with through the lens of the Otani conundrum here. My friends is the Otani conundrum. There are three options. I believe the angels have with Otani who becomes a free agent at the end of this upcoming season. Time flies when you're playing both ways, baby. (laughs) They could stand pat and try and build around Otani and trout and go forward in 2023 and spend money and go Just go get some people, right? And go for it. Great. They could not do that and just keep the same team they have and pretend like everything's going to be okay and give, you know, Noah Syndergaard another one-year deal and, you know, go get uh, Jameson Tyon. Ross Stripling. Remember they they tried to trade for Ross Stripling? Ross Stripling. Right. They could half go for it and it'll all fall apart again. Or they could trade Shohei Otani, Mm -hmm. right? There is no good outcome the angels there's like there's nothing good to do with otani because either they trade him and it looks terrible or they let him walk at the end of this year for nothing and that looks terrible jordan let me ask you this what do you think they do and is there a way for them to spend correctly this winter to allow them to be legitimately competitive in 2023 even though you know I am the, I will always the number one angel skeptic you'll ever find. Uh, yeah, there is some way that this team could win in 2023. Let's also just mention that it's not like they're not allowed to extend him. It just seems extremely unlikely at this point. Let's also mention that they are also up for sale, <laughs> and so that is also complicating uh, the direction of this franchise. I think that makes things all the more complicated because if that wasn't happening. I could see Artie just somehow finding a way to extend him the way they found a way to extend Trout, honestly. Uh, but because that's not happening, I think that's as less likely, less likely than, than it was before. 
I don't know what the path is. Like, I don't see them suddenly spending 50, adding $50 million of payroll. When you start your roster with 18 war from two guys, like that's a pretty good start. (laughs) And so it shouldn't be that hard at the same time. I, it's so many moves. It's so many moves that they need to make and hit on and then also be healthy that it's just so hard to, it's so hard to imagine. I think they will do that. I think they will do the same thing. I think they will try to do something. And then I think that they will trade him uh, if slash when they suck at the deadline. Um, but I don't think they will trade him this offseason. I know it, it's it's possible. Same thing. Oh, Rizzo said he wasn't going to trade Soto when they did. Sure, someone could come with them with the crazy offer and maybe the ownership situation changes to the point where they're like, yeah, you trade him. We don't want to do that. I think they're going to try to build because I, I if I was the GM – and I was probably getting fired anyway, the way that Perry Manassian probably will be by the new ownership, I would say, yeah, I have Toronto Otani. I might as well try and win. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to try. And so I think that's what's going to, I think they're going to go down with this ship. I really do. Moving over to the American League East, let's talk about the Baltimore Orioles, a team that I've heard is the best team in <laughs> all of baseball. Now, they really overperformed in 2022 they were the last team eliminated in the american league which still doesn't feel real when i say it out loud they did they were not this good like they were a 78 79 level win team not like an 83 win team where they ended up which is still pretty damn good what we compared to what we expected their gm michael Elias has said quote it's liftoff from here about their free agent spending. LOL, my dude, we get it. You worked for NASA before you started in baseball. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't work for the Astros anymore. <laughs> let's, let's maybe make, let's work on our now, or I guess take, I guess they're birds. Are we, how are we, we got to adjust it some. We got to adjust the terminology a little bit. It's spring mm-hmm. from here because the mm-hmm. birds are like coming north. We're flying, yeah, okay. From I, I like hibernating, it. I guess, from migrating. Uh, now, what does that mean? That is the whole narrative of the Orioles offseason. They have said that payroll will rise. Okay, where was it last year? 63 million. Current estimated payroll, 41 million. They have less money committed right now to the whole roster than the Mets have committed to Max Scherzer. Right. For That's before ARB, but still you get before ARB. <laughs> still. Okay. They really don't have that much money locked up. And so you have to imagine. They are going to pay someone to do something this offseason. They have to. What is the most likely scenario for that? I think it is one of the underwhelming but still quality back of the rotation, middle market starting pitchers in the Eovaldi, Taiwan, Walker, Chris Bassett category. I don't think they're going to be in the Verlander, DeGrom, Rodon market. I don't think they are going to be in the shortstop market, even though I think that Bogart's and Correa are both really good fits for the Orioles. I don't expect them to commit long-term to someone up the middle before they see the next round of prospects to see what they have, right? And I definitely don't think they're going to sign an outfielder because that is a a spot where they are legitimately stacked. Jordan, I am too close (laughs) to really understand what's happening here. What is your sense of the Orioles this offseason? So I would just say that no matter what, it's a pretty exciting time because everything that you saw in 2022, even if the win total was maybe something of a mirage, 
there was a lot that happened where you were like, oh, this team's moving in the right direction. Not just coming up, you know, having Adley and Gunner come up and look like they could be great players immediately, but it's that they showed, hey, we can pull relievers out of our ass. That is a great sign. This is how I felt about the Mariners, right? Great, fast, you know, express lane to contention is starting to pull relievers out of your ass. And the Orioles did that about as good as any other team in the league this year. And so it probably won't be the same guys. Probably isn't going to be Joey Crable and CNL Perez and Dylan. But the fact that they can do that's a great first step. That is a great first step. And so knowing that they have that skill in the tool bag and they have so many position player prospects – Coming, it's not just it's not just Adley and Gunner, right? They have more coming. Whether it's Westberg, whether it's Colton Kowser, well, like they have they have a lot of guys on Kerstad. Oh man, right? Like he's now back in the mix now too. There's there's just a lot of ways that they can go. Now it also sets up for like oh man, the possibilities are endless. Maybe we maybe we slow our roll a little bit this year and try not to get too excited. At the same time, I just feel so excited for you knowing that like they're not going to suck next year. I, that that is such a great feeling. That's such a great feeling that you're not going to suck anymore. How much better can they get? I don't know. I hope they are aggressive in some form, though. Who's the best player that will be on the 2023 Orioles that was not on the 2022 Orioles? Oh my God. Um, I'll just, uh, I'll just say, yeah, Chris Bassett. How about that? Okay. Last team before we take a break: the Boston Red Sox, who fluctuate between. World Series contender and your company softball team every other year for the last decade. They have extended the qualifying offer to Nate Yavaldi and Xander Bogarts. And for me, the big storyline about this team is Xander, Rafi Devers, both or neither. Hmm. What do they decide to do? And this would be, Bo- yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, this is, of course, a big deal for any franchise in any circumstance in this situation. But the Moogie Betts situation continues to loom large as much as they don't want to feel that way. And for Heim Bloom, who maybe it wasn't his call to trade Mookie Betts, uh, we don't have to revisit all that. He is still the GM now and is going to be the face of deciding whether to extend Rafael Devers or re-sign Xander Bogarts or find something if they're not going to do either of those or both of those or one of those, how do you make it seem like, hey, we can win again? I mean, it's so weird because they, they keep fluctuating back and forth. I mean, last year we were like, oh, this team this team sucks. And then there they were. They <laughs> ended up you know, beating the Yankees in the wildcard game. So I'm done trying to predict how good this team is going to be. At the same time, yeah, they, they are going to have to make some real strides here. And uh, I, I just, they are also in a really tough spot, kind of like with the White Sox uh, and the Twins in a sense, where it's like, you have some really good players, but I'm not sure the best path forward. The difference, though, is that they have more room to spend. Yeah. So they're only at 120 34. mil, I believe, right now, yeah. 134 mil. Mm-hmm. And they can go up to 200. I mean, this team is, has operated Absolutely. at high before. Absolutely. And that's, I think, why Red Sox fans are frustrated is like, You've spent money, spend money on Xander and Devers, Rafi, the guys we who, love. We know guys we love and we know who are good and are good options as, as anybody to commit to for the next half decade. Mm-hmm. And the for whatever reason, the own, uh, ownership and, and the front office has shown kind of a hesitance to do that. Anything but at else the same the Red time, I, I, hey, will you be shocked if they sign Correa if Bogarts leaves? Like I won't, honestly. Like that, that's they, they have so and they have more room than I realize. I, I, I still think that 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 there is 
there's totally a possibility they could do that. But this is a great candidate for angriest fan base at the end of the offseason. If we're if we're picking, if we're if we're drafting who is the highest anger potential at the end of his offseason, it's definitely Boston is way up there. Great pick. I don't think they get one of the top 10 free agents and I think their fan base is fuming and then I think they overperform next year and <laughs> we all look like idiots again. Let's take a quick break here on Baseball Barbacast, and we will be back with the good baseball teams right after this. Hey, everyone. This is Lindsay Rhodes, host of the NFL Roadshow, a SiriusXM podcast, inviting you to join me three, yes, three times a week for NFL analysis that goes beyond the low-hanging fruit. On Mondays, we react to the biggest stories of the NFL weekend. On Wednesdays, we pick one topic to really dig in on. And on Fridays, I'll give you all the fantasy football advice you need in just 15 minutes. We call it the Fantasy 15. Download new episodes of the NFL Roadshow right now on the SXM app, included with all of our trials and popular plans, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast as our mega free agent offseason winter team-by-team team preview rolls on. And we will hop up to Seattle mm-hmm. to talk about the Seattle Mariners, our first team in a category we call good teams with money to spend and stuff to do. The Seattle Mariners, they did it. They made the postseason. Incredible. Hats off to them. Now they need to shake the... Uh, weight of being the only team to never make a World Series. Jordan Schusterman, <laughs> you like the Seattle Mariners. What do you think they should do? Um, uh, wow, that's that's a tough question. I, they, they still have to they have to keep playing. I thought that you end the drought and then that's just <laughs> that's the end of the no. story. Uh, yeah, now it's like all right, here we go. Let's 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 try to win a World Series. I guess um, this is a, a very exciting, but also you know you, you know with the Orioles. It's like you're you're in a stage before where it's like how mad can I be? Now the fans are like, oh, we have expectations. Oh man, the, you know, oh the Mariners were the the most competitive with the Astros. Whatever, however you want to spin it, right? They still were 10, 12 games behind Houston, right? And so what this is about is not just about catching the Astros, but about building a team where it's like, oh, you could imagine. Yes, they they could they they it was the closest sweep we've seen. But what are the holes? There's still huge holes on this roster, particularly on offense. And the biggest storyline, for those who haven't followed, is can they convince one of the big shortstops to come to Seattle and then convince J.P. Crawford to move to second base? The answer to that is yes, if they can convince one of the shortstops to come to Seattle, J.P. Crawford will almost certainly move to second base. But the first part of that is way more challenging than the second part. And the J.P. Crawford, no matter what Jared Apoto is saying on the radio, the I love JP. I hope he's on the Mariners for a long time. That getting the free agent hitter to come to Seattle is an enormous challenge and not something that they have done since Nelson Cruz. They have not been able to sign anybody like that since Nelson Cruz. And like Depoto has never signed a major league hitter for anything of substance. And so that is that is the challenge. Can they do that? Or will it become a Depoto wheeling and dealing from the depth and from the prospects that they've been able to develop both the high draft picks and lower draft picks that they've been churning out i think they're more likely to go the trade route but i think they're going to try i think they do want to spend and i think that now is as as good a time as ever there's a lot of different directions they can go and i'm excited and nervous and and we'll see remember they did this ownership group did spend that money on cano like they did (laughs) that right i know it's a different era and a different time and a whole different world the, the more important thing is that they did spend on Robbie Ray and then 
what, 500 million in extensions for Luis Castillo and Julio, right? You know, they, they have been committing a lot of money recently, but that's what I'm saying. It's not just about being able to spend. Getting someone to come to Seattle is a different thing, is a different thing. That's part of the added challenge. Do you think they get one of the top 10 free agents? Um, I don't. Uh, I don't. But I think they're going to try, and I think that they're will be some weird trade in there that is close. Look, the Reds trade came out of nowhere last year, right? Like that was completely out of nowhere. And then it went the total opposite the way that we expected. So it's so hard to tell what's going to happen with them. Um, they're going to try, but I'm, I am not counting on them landing one of those guys. Bogarts would be my the, pick though too, I would say. What do you say? Bogarts would be my pick okay. as well. Most the likely to come and what I would like. The St. Louis Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Enough about the Mariners. Cut it out. Okay, I don't even I don't even know who they are. I don't even care about them. St. Louis Cardinals, who, you know, another year, another uh, playoff berth, another quick exit in the playoffs. The era is over. Pujols and Molina are gone. Wainwright has already announced that he will be back, which makes sense. We knew that he wasn't going to go, which is why the triple goodbye was always a little bit weird. <laughs> now, they will have two of the top three finishers in the. NL MVP race with Goldschmidt and Arenado at the corners. The storyline for them, for me, I think they can essentially sleepwalk their way to another NL Central title if they want. I think the rest of the division is so weak. But they need to improve the roster, particularly the pitching, if they want to win a playoff series and go deeper into October. Jordan, this to me feels like a no-doubt landing spot for at least one of those top 10 free agents. And I think they are most interesting in that they seem like a a great landing spot for equally the top pitchers and a top shortstop, or I guess Aaron Judge, if you want to get crazy, right? You know, some of these, it's way more obvious they're going for a shortstop, right? Like the Mariners are not looking at DeGrom, right? Some of them, it's like, okay, they're totally going, or, or the Rangers, right? (laughs) <laughs> maybe the Rangers sign another shortstop, but I certainly doubt it, right? But with the Cardinals, it makes a ton of sense for either of them, for maybe both of them. Now, that would be a splurging that we have not seen from them uh, to, the, to this degree, but they have the money. They have crazy attendance numbers from this year. And to your point, it's not just about winning the NL Central. They just had a, a historic season to have two top MVP finishers. You cannot count on Goldie and Arnau to be this good for that much longer. They're going to be great players for a long time. You have to be making the most of their primes in the same way because it is such a big head start to have that mm. as your foundation. But they're not going to be—they're not going to both be six-win players forever. And so, building off that base and getting some more pitching, which I think is more important, is I think just crucial for them. And they could do it in a lot of different ways. They also have, I think, the pieces to make a trade as well. I think they get one of the three aces. I think DeGrom, Rodon, or Verlander ends up in St. Louis. Verlander makes so much sense. I Let's really move that. on to the Blue Jays, a team that we don't think is going to spend. They're kind of pushing the limit of their payroll. Remember, this is a team owned by a company, not by a uh, human being willing to spend their own money. Their payroll is at $194 million this upcoming season, which is about as high as it's ever been. They spent a lot of money last year on Kevin Gossman. They spent money the year before that on George Springer. They extended Jose Barrios. So the money has been spent, but like the White Sox, they're kind of like a more hopeful version of the White Sox to me, where this is the team. These are the players that are going to form the next generation of good Blue Jays baseball. Mm-hmm. And now it is about supplementing that group 
with players who can contribute. How do they go about doing that? The most likely scenario is to trade from their catching depth. They have like three of the best 15 catchers in baseball between top prospect Gabriel Moreno, Danny Jansen, and Alejandro Kirk. Now, I don't know how much you know about baseball, Jordan. You don't need three catchers. You actually really only need one, maybe two. Mm-hmm. I would expect them to trade one of those guys to build up their bullpen depth or their starting rotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And again, I think the White Sox comparison is interesting. Uh, they both kind of ascended at the same time. Way more faith in this group, way more upside in this group, in my opinion, but way harder division. And so you really have to, like, they had a great season. In some ways, you think it was disappointing. Was it disappointing? Yes, because of what happened against the Mariners at home. But at the same time, like, they, it's not like it was a total disaster in 2022, but they were so hyped. Everyone was picking them to go to the World Series. And so that's why it felt like a total disappointment. At the same time, this is still a great, great, great team. And with the right with the right additions here and there, maybe they can squeeze in one more mid tier free agent. I think this is absolutely a team that can that can win the AL East next year. Uh, even without even without a huge addition, I think they're still good enough to do that. Uh, but it there there's improvements to make, and I just yeah they're they're straddling the line here too. But I still would rather be them than the White Sox. Let's move on to the Philadelphia Phillies, who are two games away from holy shit winning a World Series. Now, what do they need? A four starter. A five starter, a six starter, someone behind Nola Wheeler and Ranger Suarez who can go out there and actually dominate. The only players that they're losing from that NL championship team are Zach Eflin and Gene Segura. So they could probably use middle infielder as well. Noah Syndergaard. Thank you. Noah Syndergaard as well. Uh, I see there are three options here with the Philadelphia Phillies. Number one, you get one of the three aces, DeGrom, Verlander, Rodon. And then you do Bryson Stott at short. And then in Mundo Sosa, you bring back Gene Segura at second base. That's an option. Option two is you get one of the shortstops and you move Bryson Stott to second base. I think that's what Phillies fans would want. And then you sign like Chris Bassett or something. Mm-hmm. Option three is you get Verlander to Grom, Rodon, and one of the shortstops, which I don't think is going to happen. Of these three options, which, I mean, let me take number three off because no shit, that's ideal. Would you... <laughs> If you're a Phillies fan, would you rather have an ace and Segura or one of the shortstops and Bassett? Yeah, I think the, the thing that's appealing about the, the shortstop in particular is the offense was, by the end, pretty one note. <laughs> and so that is something that I think would appeal and would feel more sustainable and would help them contend in the NL East maybe more than it would help them win a playoff series. And that's what you're really kind of weighing there, I think, is you're thinking, am I thinking about the CS? Am I thinking about the NLCS? Am I thinking about the World Series in Game 4 of the playoff series? Or am I thinking about what's going to help me win 95 games instead of, you know, 87? Now, that's not to say that starting pitchers can't help you win those regular season games too, but it's much more likely that a top one of these top shortstops, whether it's Trey Turner or Bogarts or Correa or whatever, is going to help them ascend to closer to the Mets and Braves than signing DeGrom or Verlander or Verdam would be. And that's why I would imagine that that is what they're going to prioritize. But yeah, I mean, it's weird because, it, it's you know, last offseason, maybe we were talking, would have been talking about the Phillies looking ahead as, as an option for the shortstops, but it does seem like they, they're very much in the mix and make a ton of sense. They, they, they really do make a ton of sense for these guys. 
And now they have all the extra money from mm-hmm. the playoff run that they get to spend. But and season tickets are going to go up. And yeah, I mean, they already l- listen. They already had the owner who said, let's spend stupid money. So I, I, I would hope that this will only help that. Um, so, yeah, I, it, sh- it should be a recipe for spending a lot more. I agree. Let's stay in division and move on to the Atlanta Braves, who had the blockbuster of the winner so far, bringing back Jesse Chavez uh, in their <laughs> bullpen. They also extended a qualifying offer to Dansby Swanson. That is the big narrative around this team. Dansby Swanson is a free agent. He has been there for a long, long time. They either need to get one of the big shortstops or they're going to have Von Grisham play shortstop for them. Or I guess they could trade for like Ahmed Rosario. But something has to happen here with the Braves. Jordan, do you think it is Swanson? Do you think it is one of the other three shortstops or do you think it is other? Man, I <laughs> I don't know. I, again, if we're going off of the Freddie Freeman thing, like Swanson is not the best shortstop available right now. It turned out that Freddie Freeman was the best first baseman available and they thought that they could replace him with Matt Olson. I think I would still bet on. Oh, I don't know. I think I'm going to bet on, on one of the other ones. Maybe they end up with like Bogarts or something and they have a they have a Bogarts Albies up the middle. That'd be super fun. <laughs> I think they're going to get Correa. That is my prediction. Mm. I think the Atlanta Braves end up with Carlos Correa and could see that. choose him over Swanson. Mm-hmm. Like you said, they've shown a willingness. There's loyalty, sure, but they will go with the better player if they believe yeah. it behooves them, and I think mm-hmm. that's what's going to happen here. Beyond that, the rest of their team is essentially locked up until we die, and so the only other moves they'll make probably replace Kenley Jansen with someone to solidify the back of their bullpen. Let's move on to the Houston Astros, who in the last two weeks won a World Series and then fired their GM, basically. Uh, James Click is gone. He was offered a one-year deal, which is ludicrous for someone who just won the World Series. And so they don't have a GM. It's unclear who is running this team. And that is the big story for them this offseason. Who's pulling the trigger? Who's making the decisions? Is it Jim Crane? Is it the remaining baseball operations staff that was under James Click before? It's unclear. Someone paid Rafael Montero last week a lot of money to stay in their bullpen. What the freaking hell do you think is going on in Houston? I think Jim Crane is is feeling himself and he's like, I got this. I don't need this smart guy that clearly uh, has done this much longer and more effectively than I have. And I think now we're just going to head into this weird era of the Astros uh, baseball, particularly this offseason, where Jim Crane is just deciding, yeah, I want to bring back Verlander. Okay, I'll I'll throw him, give him the biggest offer by you know twenty five percent. Oh, I'm gonna go get one of the you know I'm gonna go get Wilson Contreras now, or I'm gonna go sign Jose Abreu. I'm gonna go sign these like I, who knows? And the bigger thing is, sure, there are still baseball ops guys, and someone's gonna take this job because there are only so many GM jobs. Uh, but why why would you want like why would you want to work for Jim Crane in this spot? Well, the answer is because you're probably gonna win a lot and you might get some credit. At the same time, this is not a good look. There's no way to spin this and say that this is a good thing for the Astros. You just can't. And it's embarrassing, I would say, frankly, in a lot of ways. And I know that Astros fans understandably, because this is just how our stupid fandom works, when you you win, a lot of times you're like, Yeah, our owner's awesome. He's spending these he's Okay, that's not. It's not. This is not a good thing. This is not how you want your team to be run. Uh, so yeah, we're in uncharted territory, man. I, I don't know. This could go. This could get pretty wacky pretty quickly. And because he's in charge, I do think they're going to spend money on something. Whether yeah. it's Verlander or Abreu, they're going to put big cash into one of the bigger names. Okay. Last team, 
before we move on to the headliners. The San Diego Padres, who miraculously made it to the NLCS without, did you hear about this? Without Fernando Tatis Jr., already this offseason, they had like seven players opt out and they re-signed one of those, Robert Suarez, a reliever for big money. They have a lot of holes. Profar is gone. Josh Bell is gone. Brandon Drury is gone. Their swingman, Nick Martinez, is out. All of those players have opted out or their contracts ran up. Here is the question that I think will form their offseason. Where does Fernando Tatis Jr. play defensively in his first game back? Hassan Kim was incredible at shortstop last year defensively. Better than Tatis, I think, ever could or will be despite his highlight real plays. Mm -hmm. That means that you put Tatis in center. Oh, wait, Trent Grisham, despite his offensive ineptitude, is one of the best defensive center fielders in baseball. Okay, so then where do you third base? Oh, wait, Manny Machado's at third base. Second base, oh, wait, that's Jake Cronenworth. I am super intrigued by the Padres to see what the hell they will do. Their pitching staff was super good at the top last year. Manaya and Clevenger are both gone. They were both terrible down the stretch. This team fascinates me because there are so many different ways they could go. Yeah, I think he's going to play shortstop, and I don't even think it's a question. <laughs> I think that, like, they – first of all, remember – I didn't remember until we brought this up last episode. He did play minor league baseball this year. He played four games, and he was playing shortstop in those games. And I love Hassan Kim as much as the next person. I, I just think they're going to put him at short. I, I think them pu pu putting him in left field would be, and I know that they they experimented with him a little bit. Like we've, we've seen them do both. Um, I think that they're going to do it. Like, there's also a version where Hassan Kim isn't hitting and the value of him playing short is not as much. I mean, I could be wrong. I just think that the, the, the best version of the pot, it, it, it will say a lot about who they go out and get in left field. Because if they're getting a super placeholder there, then it might be more obvious that they are going to put Fernando in left. But no, I agree with you. It is super fascinating. It's not obvious. I, I think they will just put him right back at shortstop. Um, but who knows? Who knows? I think Kim has earned it. I mean, there's certainly a scenario where Tatis is at short, Kim is at second, and they just move Cronenworth to first, mm -hmm. right? And they just have him play there, which is weird because yep. he's one of the best defensive second baseman. Or baseball. rotate him, right? They could find some version where they're they're sliding them through. Like, I, I don't know. We'll see. That payroll is already over $200 million. That being said, their owner has committed to spending and now is not the time to take the foot off the gas. So I would imagine, <laughs> yes. if not the top 10 group, one of those depth starters or one of the more yeah. veteran corner bats, whether it's Abreu or Michael Brantley or Mitch Hanniger, one of those yep. players will end up in San Diego. Totally agree. All right. We are going to take another quick break, and we will be back with our final four teams, the headliners of this offseason. Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shape sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. We are now joined by San Francisco Giants expert... And writer for The Athletic, Grant Brisby. Grant, it is such a pleasure to be joined by you. Anytime we can have you on a podcast is a good day. Let's pod, gentlemen. Let's pod. 
I would describe Grant as a giantist. Uh, I I am a practitioner of gigantism, mm. um, which is okay. kind of an awkward. I I could rephrase that. Yeah, uh, Grant, the San Francisco Giants did not have the best 2022 season, but the good news is that boy are we talking about them a lot already for a team that just finished 500. And let's start with the obvious. Aaron Judge question, because what I have found interesting about the the Aaron Judge discussion thus far is that it seems that the narrative has already just made it a two-team race. It's just like, he's going back to the Yankees or he's going to the Giants because the Giants are such a perfect fit. And what I want to get a sense from you as a Giantist, a Giants fan, a Giants writer, how much, what are the expectations here? Are the fans really getting their hopes up this much that Aaron Judge could be a San Francisco Giant? It's, I go back and forth because it's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's a cliche, but it's up to judge. Like if he's really just thinking, I'm a little over the Yankees, the whole, the hoopla, the, I'm in New York, I just, it's the media market, whatever. If he's really feeling like that. Yeah. You know, the giants have a shot, but if he's feeling at all, like, oh, this place is pretty cool. Like I like the Yankees, which I think most people would. I, I think that most players who have a chance to get a monument uh, in Yankee Stadium uh, feel like that, like, yeah, this place is rad, uh, then he's staying with the Yankees. So I, I do agree with that. The only thing that makes Giants fans, uh, what, how am I trying to say, that makes them uh, optimistic and realistically so, is that Aaron Judge was a huge Rich Aurelia fan as a kid. Model his batting stance after Rich Aurelia, uh, wore his number. And you only do that if you're a Giants sicko. Like, you know, it wasn't Barry Bonds. It was it was Rich Aurelia. And you only do that if you're a freak. And so maybe he wants to play for his hometown team. Now, this is the question I have. I In Google Maps, it is a two-hour drive from Linden, California to Oracle Park. Is it fair to call it his hometown team? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. But I I think when you are in uh, that neck of the woods, you identify uh, as Northern California. You have to get down to Fresno or if you're on the coast, Cambria, that's where you start to get, okay, you know, you're on the on the borderline. Like Fresno is wild. Fresno is uh, dueling uh, gangs of orange and black and, and blue hats. Like it's, it's a wild right in the middle. Uh, but I think once you start getting up, that's that's still hometown. I mean, what, you know, that, that that's about as close as it gets. So nine-year-old Aaron Judge in 2001, as Barry Bonds is blasting homers every day, is like, I think this Aurelia guy is actually better than... <laughs> <laughs> but we should note, of course, did finish with 37 homers in 2001, which in any other year, you'd be you'd be the king of the king of the town, but pick the wrong year to hit 37 homers on the Giants. I think it's just a matter of a right-handed kid um, looking at the left-hander going, that's cool, but look at this dude. Like, look, look at this guy. This is me. I can be him. And that was one of the goofiest seasons I've ever watched. Um, it's just, you know, and it, it, it was one of those the most unexpected, and then it never quite happened like that again. But I, I love seasons like that. So Aaron Judge is obviously the dream, but mm-hmm. what is the reality? Because this is a team that has solid to fine to good players at most spots, but no position players where you're like, I'm going to buy that Jersey. I'm going to get his Jersey. I'm going to spend money on that. 
They also have a $115 million payroll, which is tens of million dollars lower than what they could be at. So if they don't end up with Aaron Judge, do they end up with another free agent whose jersey the future nine-year-old current Aaron Judge could buy? Well, I mean, yes, they will pay for someone that uh, you might make an argument that that jersey will be a a hot seller. But listen, Trey Turner's a fantastic player. He's not moving jerseys like like Judge. I mean, you're buying a Trey Turner jersey, but you're not rushing to the store for it. Uh, Xander Bogart's like you're buying the jersey and you're appreciating him. Maybe Carlos Correa. I don't know. That's why everyone's put their hopes on judge because that is the one player where you all of a sudden normies who don't really follow baseball are like, I know that guy. And they're driving past a billboard and they're like, Oh, that's that dude. Yeah. I've heard about him. That's the only one. If you're doing this for the PR, that's the only guy. I mean, you're not, you're not getting all fired up about Trey Turner. I'm sorry. I mean, he might be like the better fit, but I don't know. You're not getting fired up about him. So then, then let's let's move PR aside here, and just this is really my my biggest and last question for you is like, okay, say they sign Judge, maybe they don't. Uh, say they sign Judge, they're still seemingly pretty far behind the the Dodgers and arguably still the Padres as well, right? And so what? Even with Judge, let's just let's just give them Judge. They do it right. That's not a let's one. Give it to let's them. just give it to. Them. <laughs> they do they do it. it. <laughs> just, it's official. It's he official. Signs a, Breaking right. news. <laughs> team friendly, really team friendly for a team he's never been on. He's like, I just want to go home, <laughs> whether that's home. Okay. What, what is the next move? Because you can't, you know, oh, we got Kodai Senga rumors. We got, you know, maybe a shortstop. Like, I just am trying to see, even with Judge, how they can blast all the way up to NL West contention. I, it's going to take so much more than that. That's not why they shouldn't sign Judge, to be clear. I'm just saying it feels like there's so many more steps that if they sign Judge on December 10th, there's a lot more work to do. Yeah, I uh, like. I'm gonna just. I'm just gonna offer a hot take here. I think they were a little bit lucky and played a little bit over their heads in 2021. I know people aren't going to want to hear that, but I think me. So you know what? I don't yeah. think that the Dodgers are a realistic target yeah. uh, ever for any team, and I just mean that because it's one of the greatest teams in baseball history. They yes. are the big red machine. They are the the Yankees of the the 20s. They are uh just ridiculous. So you have to stop thinking uh can we catch the Dodgers because that's going to take like Lamont Wade Jr hitting <laughs> 500 in the ninth inning or whatever over a full season. Uh but you can be the Phillies. You can be the Phillies and the Giants and Phillies are were eerily similar last year. They were eerily similar. They had uh, a top two that was uh, the envy of baseball uh, in the rotation. They had uh, uh, some bullpen weirdness here and there. They had some defensive foibles, but the Phillies had Bryce Harper and the Phillies had JT Real Muto. Muto. Uh, They signed two big name all-stars who performed like big name all-stars. That's what the Giants are missing. And I'm not saying they would have won the pennant if they had spent a little bit of money, but I'm not not saying that either. So catching the Phillies, I think, is realistic. Catching the Dodgers, uh, listen, 2021 was fun, but that's not going to happen again. <laughs> what a what a realistic lad, this Brisby. <laughs> this Brisby, he's really come a long way uh, from his rantings and ravings of McCovey Chronicles. <laughs> um, Grant, Grant, we appreciate the time. Uh, we we wish you a a busy and entertaining off season. Uh, I think um, whether it's Judge or not. <laughs> 
I kind of like last off season, man, with the lockout. I just that chilling. was relaxing. We're that was chilling. relaxing. Yeah, you know, I wasn't like I have my free agent profiles every year, and I make my way through them. And every year, it's like ah, I got to get to them. I got to get them all because they're going to start signing it out. And last year was just relaxing. And here's a free agent profile, no mm. risk. All right, I appreciate it, guys. And you, like us, didn't need to fly down to Jupiter and stare through a fence. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I am a, I'm a fake reporter. I sit at home and make things up. I'm a columnist. It us, it us. <laughs> uh, Grant, thank you so much. We will talk to you again when the Giants sign Aaron Judge. All right, I, I will be there. All right, and to explain the New York Mets to us is a colleague of ours over at Fox Sports, Disha Thosar. Disha, hello. How are you? How goes it? Hello, Cespedes Barbecue. I'm great. Thank you for having me on. Uh, let's Disha, start. We there. have names. We have names. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it's good with Cespedes Barbecue, and it's both of you. That that works for me. Well, I was going to say, let's start there. Uh, when will they bring back Ioannis Cespedes? I know he's hit a couple uh, home runs in the Winter League season, and all of Mets Twitter has taken to their timeline to say, there's no way this guy's worse than Darren Ruff. Um, so do you have any update on whether he's uh, going to be coming back uh, to Queens? What's the latest? <laughs> it's funny that the Mets actually need a DH heading into 2023. So mm. I heard Cespedes is available. Mm. Uh, they should definitely keep their options open. Love well. that. Love that. Love to hear that. Uh, Disha, we're going to ask you a real questions about the real New York Mets. Uh, they are in the news all the time, as they will always be. Our vague prompt to you is what will be the main storyline of the 2022 slash 23 New York Mets offseason? Yeah, I think the biggest storyline of the Mets offseason is the co-biggest storyline of baseball in that Jacob deGrom is a free agent and he's exploring it like a true free agent, which is not that surprising that the Mets are not giving up everything for him in this very moment. Uh, I think fans wish they would, uh, but there are a lot of sort of particulars that the front office has to dance around. And that whole dance, I think, is going to be the most interesting part of when Jacob deGrom will decide where he wants to go, where he decides, and how the Mets react to that, because they have huge holes in their rotation. So... It kind of all depends on on what he decides to do. And and bullpen, as we know, they just brought Edwin Diaz back for $100 million, but it seems like most of the rest of that unit will also be hitting the free agent market. Here's, here's how I'm going to try to phrase the, the DeGrom question. Say Jacob DeGrom and Aaron Judge both leave on the same day and sign with different teams. How much New York newspaper real estate will be spent on DeGrom versus Judge, right? Because these are the, these are both the enormous deals if either of them left. I, you know, it's not Judge for, for a lot of reasons. But but how, how does that compare to potentially Judge leaving? And also, is it more, how much more likely is it? I think Judge will definitely get all of the headlines and all of the storylines if they were to leave on the exact same day, obviously, because of his home run chase, which caught all of baseball's attention. Uh, and of course, just the Yankees themselves and the Mets are the lovable losers for a reason. So they might get headlines in terms of haha, Mets lose again. Uh, DeGrom leaves and and Judge will just be the biggest story if he actually who wants to end up as a Yankee, retire as a Yankee. I think this is that moment. So I think Judge sort of rightfully will get all the attention, especially because DeGrom has hinted that he's going to leave. 
uh, which is the likeliest version, I think is a, a great answer, a great question, because my answer changes almost on the daily, depending on how the news cycle's going. I think I'm leaning in this moment more toward Judge staying and DeGrom leaving. But if you asked me that a week ago, I think my answer would have been different. I'm going to ask you a question that I ask myself most days, and that is, is Jake happy? <laughs> <laughs> you ask yourself that most days. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to tell if he's happy or not when you just speak to him about returning to the Mets. I think the the big shift was just watching Edwin Diaz's answers when you ask him leading up to his free agency, do you want to stay with the Mets? It was always I would love to come back wholeheartedly. Yes, I'm here. And Jacob Durham to this day has never said that, except that he would like to come back. He sort of filtered it in throughout the season. He wants to end his career the way he started it. These are all known facts, but leading up to free agency, he did not point blank say it. So I think that is sort of the only hint that we have to his own happiness. Other than that, we can go off Zach Wheeler's latest comments. And he said he wants to stay in New York. Mark Canna said he spoke to Degrom. He wants to stay in New York. So everyone sort of around him, his peers have said yes, but uh, is Jacob Jerome happy? I think based off his answers, I would say no, but that could just be mostly he's not happy with the money that he's gotten to this point. And uh, you can't fault him for that. That's how we, that's how this Jake feels too. Um, would leave New York for more money. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Brandon Nimmo is also an awesome baseball player and he's not going to be, whether he leaves or stays it's not going to be quite nearly as big of a deal as, as even Diaz was, it feels like. Uh, but I, I, he's a pretty important player, and I did just have a, a huge season. Do you get the sense that that if he does end up departing and he feels maybe like, I don't know if he's the most likely to depart or, or less likely to leave than, than DeGrom, I don't know. But but are we maybe underrating how important Brandon Nimmo is is to this team, or or am I, am I crazy and I'm overrating his OVP and his sprints to first base when he walks? No, I think he is a little underrated, especially now that he has the option of walking away. This past season with the Mets was his best defensively that I've seen. He is just a true all-around center fielder, and he worked for like a matter of three, four years to get there, um, increasing all of his statistics in that department. But even just more than that, I think his homegrown aspect of it has a really deep tie to the Mets that makes me think that regardless of the other offers he'll receive, uh, he still has that connection with the Mets. And I think here's here's maybe my hot take on, on teams valuing uh, their free agents who they hold dear near, like Jacob Jerome, like Brandon Nimmo. I'd like to see front offices wooing them more. Like, sorry if that's old fashioned, but I know in the Yankees with Garrett Cole, they sent this very expensive bottle mm. of wine. And this is <laughs> these are the things we hear about. It doesn't have to be that cheesy. But even if there are some of these little, little attractions going through to the player that you want to keep. I think that with players like Nimmo makes a lot of sense to me. I'm not sure it would make a huge lot of a difference to DeGrom. He just wants the money. Uh, but but Nimmo has shown that the, these are he's a sentimental guy. He has the baseball from his best catch hanging in his locker. Uh, you could tell it means a lot to him when he talks about it. So I think those are the things that will make Nimmo want to stay. And I think front officers should do that more. Like who cares if it's cheesy? Just, just go after the player that you want in, in a cute, sentimental way. Be, be cuter, Mets. <laughs> up it. Up the cuteness level. Uh, you know what is cute more than anything else is money. And Steve Cohen has more of it than any other baseball owner has ever had. Now, it's very easy to just be like, ha ha, Steve Cohen, go brr and re-sign every single player and 
run a $500 million payroll. But there is a limit somewhere in theory. Where do we think that is? Could he just re-sign Bassett, DeGrom, and Nimmo for above their market value and run a $310 million payroll? Is it not going to go above 280? Is it going to go up to 400? Like, do we just have never had an owner operate like this. And so I'm curious for you what you think the high end of, of the spectrum is here. I think especially with Steve Cohen and, and knowing him and talking to him, he's really practical to a fault when it, it just comes to practical situations. So for instance, Jacob deGrom, right? Great example who has only thrown something 200 plus innings over the last three seasons. Uh, his health is a big problem. Um, him staying on the field, these are these are minor injuries, but I think they they all obviously come together when you're making that contract. If someone like the Rangers wants to give DeGrom $180, I'm not sure that the Mets, from what they've seen, would value a four-year contract. So I think Stephen Cohen's like practicality comes in those moments, and he's going to show restraint, which I'm not sure is a great thing. This is Jacob DeGrom we're talking about. So uh, I think he's picked his moments, and they're sort of unpredictable, where he'll decide to be practical for one thing, but then he'll give Francisco Lindor $300. $41 million when it really wasn't necessary. He could have waited a whole season uh, and then seen how that season played out. So I think overall, Steve Cohen and his choices and indecisions have been very unpredictable, but we have seen restraint from him. Uh, so it's not just the drunken sailor spending. Uh, it's the where he'll spend it that that I think will continue to surprise. And I think uh, just to kind of put a bow on that. I think the dynamic there that's so interesting to me is not just that he has all the money and to your point, maybe he's practical in some cases. I'm not, he's also like a Mets fan. <laughs> like, And I feel like that also even more than the average, Oh, are they going to retain these homegrown guys and these fan favorites like Edwin, like Nimmo, like DeGrom, although DeGrom's a slightly different uh, case because of, you know, oh, since Steve Cohen showed up, DeGrom has shown flashes of the best pitcher of the world, but also he's been frustrating and out on the field, you know? And so it's, it's, he has not given him his, he's not made Steve Cohen smile as often as, as Edwin Diaz has uh, since he, since he took over the team. So I think that's a great way to put it. We will see, I, I'm not going to force you to predict who's, who's coming back and who's not. You'll be asked that a million times by other people over the course of the next few months. So thank you, Disha. We appreciate the time. And uh, let's listen, no matter what happens, this is the beauty of teams like this there will be stuff to talk about. <laughs> Hell yeah, so, hot stove, baby. Thanks, yep. Jake and Jordan oh. and Cespedes Barbecue <laughs> for, for having me on. All right, thank you to Grant and Disha. We're now back, just us, two teams to go. And Jake, let's talk about the Dodgers, the mighty Dodgers who Grant called one of the best teams in baseball history. Didn't look like it against the Padres, but we know they'll probably win 100 games again in 2023. But just how will they do it? How will they spend their gobs and gobs and gobs of cash? Well, Trey Turner is a free agent. That's a good place to start. And will they decide, you know what? Finally, we'll have uh, former top five prospect Gavin Lux play shortstop. Or will they say, you know what? Let's just bring in Carlos Correa or Bogarts or bring back Turner or bring in Dansby Swanson, that seems unlikely. Let's start there, Jake. Will they end up with one of the top four shortstops? Because I feel like that is at least an obvious place to start for the Dodgers. Yes, I think they do. Mm -hmm. I think they end up with Swanson or Bogarts mm -hmm. uh, is where I am leaning. And they need to fill that spot. Their payroll is only at 170 million after finishing at 262 million last year. I see no reason why they won't. 
get a shortstop to fill that spot. Do you have any doubt? Uh, you know, Ken Rosenthal just wrote today about how maybe the teams at the very top, like the Dodgers and the Yankees, who we'll talk about, are maybe less incentivized to go crazy with the spending, with the thinking of, hey, our chances to win the World Series are the same if our payroll is 190 versus 270. I think that's kind of bogus, especially for the Dodgers, uh, because it's not like you, you there's still benefit in having better baseball players, and that's something that the Dodgers have preferred to do. They've also been hinting at saying, oh, well, we have all these young guys we want to play. And I, I understand that, but I'm with you. I, I don't see how they don't go the star approach again. <laughs> they do Bogarts. Oh, man, Red Sox fans have to now watch Bogarts and Betts <laughs> with the Dodgers. That would be pretty rough. Uh, but, yeah, I could I could see that. It would not surprise me. There's another, the Dodgers, nothing will, will shock me. They just waited around for Freddie Freeman to, to be there, and then they just did it. So There are two other main storylines for them this offseason. One is Cody Bellinger, mm. who is due around $18 million in arbitration this upcoming season. He is what we in the business call a non-tender candidate, which essentially means the Dodgers can opt not to offer him a contract and he will become a free agent. His arbitration number is probably around $18 million. Is he worth that? Certainly not if he has the season he just had. Now, the Dodgers are so deep pocket-wise that they could bring back Bellinger and take an $18 million gamble that he figures it out. There are worse ways to spend $18 million. Jordan, you seem skeptical that he will be in Los Angeles next season. Well, we had the same conversation last year um, after he was truly horrific uh, in 2021. And it was like, well, like they're not just going to give up on him yet. Was he as bad this year as last year? No, but he was still really bad. You know, 78 OPS plus. And sure, he has, you know, some defensive value still. Uh, that is that is nice, but yeah, I, I have to feel like we're getting towards the end of the line here. I would assume they would also try to trade him first, and maybe there there probably are still some teams that would that would gamble on that. But that is an expensive gamble for any team, um, certainly for most teams more than the Dodgers, right? That to gamble eighteen million dollars is easier for the Dodgers than any other team, which is why maybe he is headed towards uh, a non-tender. So super fascinating at the same time it's not like him sucking stop them from winning a billion games and so maybe they just think yeah you know we'll just take the shot that he figures it out and and if not so be it uh, but if they do not tender him that to me tells me hey let's we're clear in space to spend even more because that would give them even more uh, flexibility than they already have to just spend crazy and get 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 to Grom and a shortstop and a, a, you know Mitch Haniger or Brantley like there's so many things that they could do the other thing this team needs is a starting pitcher. As of right now, their fifth starter is listed as a gentleman named Ryan Pepio, mm -hmm. who is a uh, promising prospect, but certainly not the type of person that you would imagine starting 30 games for the Dodgers in 2023. Mm -hmm. Dustin May is also in that mix, who has had some bullpen risk in the past. Kershaw is back. The other two guys are Urias and Gonsolin. Tyler Anderson is a free agent. I would imagine they will have to get someone to pitch for them. Now, whether that is Rodon, DeGrom, Verlander, or whether that is someone from the next category down, Anderson seems like an obvious fit. Do you think they'll play at the top of that market with DeGrom, Verlander, and, and Carlos? I could see that. I also think Anderson's one of the stronger candidates to take the QO. Um, so that would be one that they might just be able to retain. But totally, yeah, I could see them. that. In some ways, maybe they feel that they have more uh, – well, I don't know. I, I can't really tell if they are more eager to give 
20 starts to Ryan Pepio or give 500 at-bats to Miguel Vargas? Because that's kind of what we're talking about here when they keep referring to the young guys is which of them are we really going to rely on and which of them are we just going to go deal with in free agency because we're the Dodgers and we can. So that And it's hard it's hard to parse that, so I'm not totally sure. But I, I would be surprised if they don't end up, as you mentioned, one of the top 10 guys I think ends up there for sure. That is what's really interesting, right? Because other teams, if they had Vargas, Pepio, guys like that, you know, uh, waiting in the wings, they would give them those spots and give them a chance to fail instead of going to free agency. But this is the Dodgers. This is the juggernaut machine that does not stop. Mm -hmm. And so they need, in their minds, to win 110 games every freaking season. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that is by not giving your young players a chance to fail. Yep. You cannot fail here. Mm -hmm. Okay, there is no leash. (laughs) It's not even a leash. There is no shot. Right. And so what I the decisions they make in this free agency will tell us which of their young players they believe in for totally agree. And I find that very interesting. Let's move on to our final team, the New York Yankees, who it is Aaron Judge or bust. There are two ways this offseason could go. They could keep Aaron Judge, which most people think will happen. They could let Aaron Judge go or not get Aaron Judge, depending on how you want to phrase that, and sign one of the other big free agents. I do not see a scenario where the New York Yankees exit this offseason without one of the major free agents. Mm -hmm. Do you agree? I think I agree, uh, although I still would put all those eggs in the Judge basket. Although in the same way we just kind of talked about with the Giants, Look, I know the Yankees won the division rather handily and injuries really torpedoed their last couple months in terms of how the postseason went. At the same time, you know, you bring back Judge, awesome. That's what you should do. Um, there, there's, this is not a perfect roster and I still will go into next year feeling uh, pretty good about Toronto the way I did. Um, but look, maybe maybe we're being being too harsh. Once you get Judge done, I, I think the biggest question with the Judge thing is, when does it happen? Because if you're just waiting around for that, if, if the longer that plays out, are you waiting? Now you're just passing up on the opportunities to sign some of the other big names? Or do you feel confident enough that you can get that done no matter what, that you push forward and you try to sign Verlander? Remember, they tried to sign Verlander last year. It'll be even more expensive this year, but we know they liked him and wanted to do it last year. And there's no reason why they wouldn't maybe try to do that again, even if it seems like they, they have more holes uh, on offense than in the rotation. So I, I agree with you. I do think that they will they will end up with with someone. I think they have to, and I think that it would be pretty negligent to not. Uh, but I, I'm I'm more curious if they're swinging any deals. If they really really are going to stick with Donaldson, if they really are going to stick with IKF in any sort of way, if they're just handing the job to Peraza, I think it's everything besides Judge is is still going to be fascinating. That's what's crazy, right? If they bring Judge back, that's a win for them, obviously, but it brings you to where you were last year when you got obliterated by the Astros in four games in the ALCS. So spending $35 million a year on a generational talent that you already had just brings you back to square zero. Mm -hmm. It doesn't push things forward. Mm -hmm. And Judge cannot be better than he was last year. He, it's impossible (laughs) Okay, maybe he's just as good. He's not going to be better. Chances are he's going to be somewhat worse because that's how equilibrium works. And so if they sign Judge, they are still very far away 
and have to do a number of other moves. For that reason, I think they're going to end up with Verlander. Mm -hmm. That's my hot, spicy prediction. Mm -hmm. And I do think they end up with Judge and they make one or two trades. I, the Donaldson thing is tough because who wants that now? The Twins <laughs> were not... looking to get rid of him yeah. because he was a problem and he was still hitting at that point. And so there was value there. Now he's an aging bad defender who didn't have a good 2022, who's clearly not the best clubhouse presence. Good defender. Yeah. Decent defender. Somehow, still. He was better on defense and worse on offense than, than if you weren't watching the Yankees, that is how I would describe his season. Uh, but no, I, it see, from the way they talked about it, they seem way more committed to Donaldson than to IKF uh, moving forward. So, But we'll see. But there's no way the Yankees will not be relevant, as always, uh, whether we like it or not. All right. Well, this was fun. Talked about all 30 teams. Talked about some baseball players. Now, if you're listening, if you listen to this and you said, Guys, there's more than just those 10 free agents. You're right. And we're going to talk about many more of those later on this week on Friday where we do a player-specific uh, free agent preview. Very excited for that. And we want to start opening up the mailbag for the winter. So make sure you email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com with all of your good, bad, and dumb questions. If you want to write us poems, that's great. We'll read them. If you want to write us uh, diary entries and just use this as, a, as your diary, that's weird, but you could do that too. If you have any baseball-related questions, that's probably the most typical thing you could send us. But send us anything you want. We'll read it. Maybe on the show, maybe not. But we want to hear from you all. Yes. Uh, later this week, we're going to record on Friday instead of a Thursday episode because we would like to squeeze in some award chat award chatter at the top of the next episode. And because MVP is not until Thursday night, and that will likely be the most interesting result, uh, we are going to uh, talk about that on Friday morning. So expect the next episode on Friday. We're going to try to get a couple episodes for you guys next week um, going into Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll try to bank one going into Thanksgiving as well. But thank you all for listening. We know these, these episodes have been long. Also, thank you for the response on the time capsule episode. That was super fun. We're glad we got to do that again. If you have any time capsule items that we missed, make sure you can email those again. Baseballbarbacast at gmail.com, B-A-R-B-Cast. Uh, but thank you to Dish Thosar and Grant Brisby for joining us on this episode. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. And uh, we will be back later this week talking about Aaron Judge receiving how many first place votes of the 30. Jake Mintz, how many first place votes will Aaron Judge receive? 26. I'm going to say 24. 24 is my prediction. We will uh, confirm that later this week. Thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you on Friday. Serious XM Podcasts. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 